Welcome to Angel Lady Movie Talk, where we discuss the issues in our story and meet the filmmakers. Angel Lady is all about second chances. Today we meet Terry Angel, who experienced a dramatic rebirth at age 20 and has since dedicated her life to awakening others. Terry is the author of Midnight Calls with the Angels and its pocket companion, Tiny Book of Angel Messages. I'm your host, Sherry Lee Myers. I'm really happy you're here. Good morning, Terry Angel, my dear, dear friend. I am so happy that we are here today to talk about the creation of your amazing book, Midnight Calls with the Angels, and your pocket version of that. Terry, I've known you for probably eight years now, mm-hmm. and we have been in touch all that time, and I've watched you grow and write books and you've helped my family with prayer circles. You've helped my friends with prayer circles and, and helping them. You are a healer. You are an author. You are an amazing person with an extraordinary story. So if we could start with helping people to know more about your journey and where you came from, can you tell us about your origins, about your life, Where were you born? What was your family like? Hi, Sherry. Oh, I would be honored to share my story. Wow. So going back into the day when Terry was born, Hills of Kentucky, little town in Southeast Kentucky. I was actually born at home. It was a little house on the river, and I was delivered by a midwife at early, early in the morning, like three something in the morning. I think it was 333, but that's just my thought. <laughs> um, so my family is a huge family there in the hills of Kentucky. And my mom had 13 of us children. So I come from a really big family. Where were you in the order of things? I was number nine. You were nine. You were, wow. Mm-hmm. What? So many children. You told me before, part of it was labor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. We we grew up on a farm. So, you know, the boys, well, the girls, too. We all worked out in the the garden and helped with the farm animals and did the chores. You know, my my mom was always with the baby. She had one every couple of years. So there was always the, you know, taking care of the infant. And so the we were pretty much on our own. And the oldest female at home was the one that did the, you know, the caretaking, making sure that we were uh, bathing and sleeping and, uh, you know, behaving ourselves, not killing each other, <laughs> which there's a story in there, too. We kind of oh, talked yeah. about it at one point, <laughs> as kids do. But, yeah, it was it was an interesting time growing up because it wasn't your typical you know, two parents, two children in the house. It was um, it was mayhem and chaos most of the time. But an important part of it, my dad worked in the coal mines. Worked in the coal mines. And he was sick a lot. And I attribute a lot of it to that environment, you know, mm-hmm. being immersed in that, um, the coal dust and all that goes along with it. Yeah, And so he had a lot of stomach issues, heart issues. And so the big chore was keeping the kids quiet. So we were to be not seen, not heard if he was there because he needed his rest time. You know, he got up so early to go do the work. And so our job was to be quiet and not seen and not heard, which became a big part of my life of shrinking down you know, instead of rising up to, to be a voice. And once I eventually did find my voice, I liked it. I liked being able to share with other people and let everybody know that, you know, life is, is not, it's what we make it. It doesn't have to be this journey of hardship. I've seen it. I lived it. Yeah. And I know now that whatever we face, whatever we go through, we can do it. We can do this. Mm-hmm. We're here for this. We're here for such a time as this. And I know I was placed in that family on purpose. 
I, I have the belief that we choose the family we come into. Right. And I came into one that wasn't going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Was it going to be, um, you know, peaches and cream and everything's working perfectly? We had. When did really- you leave home, Terry? When? How did you leave home? When did you leave home? Okay, so uh, I had a lot of hardships at home, and there was a lot of things that were um, were pretty troublesome in our home. A lot of anger, a lot of conflict. I wanted to get out as soon as I could, so. The angels had arranged for um, this program that would help me through college. So as soon as I graduated high school, I left. Mm-hmm. Like almost the minute I left because I went to a summer uh, set semester at school. Mm-hmm. So I was out of there when I graduated. So 17 years old. Wow. I left home. Wow. Went to school, went to college. What did you, what were you interested in when you went to school? Were you already a spiritual person? I had known the angels my whole life. That was my my saving grace. I was in connection with them. Oh, I just got a chill. Wow. Um, My parents sent us to church on Sundays. I think to get some peace and quiet, but you know. But it also gave us a background of God. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a God and mm-hmm. what that looks like. And I met Jesus in this church. Um, so I had that behind me. I had that, that foundation. Um, but as far as living a spiritual life, I lived a, a wild life when I left home. I was like, um, you know, a kid in a candy store. Oh, I, you know, I don't have to be quiet anymore. I can, I can play music. Which mm-hmm. I wasn't able to do at home, mm. so music became a dear love of mine, and and, and still is. I yeah. just love music. Um, but I was interested in helping others. Interestingly, I yeah. always had that desire, and I always said I was going to be a psychologist. So wow. that was my degree. I went for a psychology degree, mm-hmm. and I have used it throughout my life. Oh, but, yes, you um, have. As far as being in an office and sitting with with clients you know that's that's not my thing I don't like being contained <laughs> so I'm a free spirit. Yes, we'll get into that <laughs> with a peace tour <laughs> the <Right>. ultimate <laughs> yeah. freedom tour um so Terry you got out you went to school you had a pretty wild life and then and graduated in it with a degree from psychology when did you get married weren't you married quite young or Quite young. Yeah. So in, the, in, in my first semester of school, I met my first husband. Wow. It was like an immediate attraction. And we only knew each other six months before we got married. We got married while we were still in college. Yes. And that was not easy. It, it's hard enough, you know, to support one person and to to focus on your schoolwork. Yeah. And um so yeah, we got married right away, and then he graduated before me. He was two years ahead of me, mm-hmm. and we were sent to Florida. He came home one day. How how do you feel about living in Florida? And I'm like, oh no, never been to Florida. So you know, this country girl hadn't been really out of the sticks that much, only a yeah. couple of trips. So we ended up in Florida, which I nearly fell in love with, and I knew I was supposed to be there. Yeah, it, it really did feel like home. Mm. Mm, mm. Do you have? I mean, I know that there was a huge health crisis with your first, with your with your child. Go get into that. Tell us what happened. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was nineteen. No, I was twenty years old, and uh, became pregnant. I'd never been pregnant before, and I didn't know, you know, all the ins and outs of it. As I said, I was living in Florida, so I was far away from any family, uh, parents, siblings, anything, and had very few friends. So I wasn't, I didn't know how to be pregnant. I didn't know what it it felt like, what it was going to be like. Yeah. And so throughout the pregnancy, you know, I'm I felt okay, but not great. And I thought, okay, this is pregnancy. You know, you don't feel good. Your body's changing. 
And I had gone uh, on a, a short trip to see my family. The doctor had okayed that. I was, I think I was five months pregnant at that time and went to Kentucky to visit. And then by the time I got back, I looked like I was ready to deliver that baby, and, oh. which is not usual for five to six months. So I saw my doctor and I mean, I felt okay. I really did feel okay. Just yeah. tired and, you know, a little bit of uh, nausea here and there. And I went to see the doctor and he goes, hmm. he goes I think you may be having twins. Let's put you in for some testing and to see what's going on. Right. And I think he, he said that, but I think he knew there was something more than just that going on because of how uh, big I had become in such mm -hmm. a short period of time. Right. So I go into the hospital and I wasn't having twins. I was in complete kidney failure. No, no um, function at all. With oh my God. They call it acute kidney failure. And right. I said, it's not cute at all. <laughs> Gosh. And if I had waited any longer, Sherry, they, they don't know how long they had not worked. But if they said if I, I had waited any longer, it would have been fatal to me yeah. and the baby. Yeah. That the, the timing, I just, I had to be there. Yes to have that discovered so that they could take care of it. But that is one of the reasons why they call kidney disease the silent killer. Yes. Because I didn't know. There was nothing to indicate that my mm -hmm. kidneys weren't working. Mm -hmm. So they uh, they immediately put me in the hospital. Yeah. And I went on dialysis. And I was on dialysis for the next eight months after that but um during that month that I had to stay in the hospital it was traumatic it was very traumatic I didn't know any of this I didn't know what kidney failure was I didn't know what dialysis was or mm -hmm. what to expect or you know how, how, it, how it worked how I cleaned the body and they did not explain that after they put in the tubes they needed to connect me to the machine, that it would start like immediately. And I, I fell asleep. They couldn't put me to sleep because of the pregnancy, but I fell asleep. Yeah. I woke up and I'm in this room by myself. And the dialysis machine back then was this monster. It was like from floor to ceiling with all the coils and blood running through it. And wow. I woke up and I freaked out because I was all by myself. Yeah. Already scared because I didn't know what the heck was going on. Yeah. And no one had explained to me that I was going to be attached to this monster oh machine. Oh. And I just yelled out from my little hospital room for help, you know, and I, I just screamed out. And this lady came in. And calmed me down, and she goes, you know, you're going to be okay. It's all right. The, you know, they'll come in in a minute and explain things to you, I'm sure, and help you out. And they're like, just, you know, just breathe and calm down. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. I'll, I'll wait a minute and see if they, the doctor comes in. That's what I was waiting for. And she left. Well, nobody knows who she was. She didn't have a name tag on, and... Uh. But my description of her, because I asked for her, um, she wasn't a nurse there on that floor. <sighs> and I am positive yes. that she was an earth angel, that she came in um, and let me see her as an earth being to be there to calm me and to help me through that moment. It was, oh. it was quite amazing to have that experience. Oh, Terry, when you described it, I got confirmation. Mm -hmm. you know yeah. I mean I just got chills yeah they, I oh. guess they thought I was hallucinating they're like yeah. we, don't, we don't have a nurse like that mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. all right so I had to deliver the baby before right. I could have a transplant right yes <laughs> right okay and um so she came early I delivered her in December and so in January, they had told me after the delivery that the kidneys might get some function back because of this, the strain of the pregnancy might be, uh, you know, 
diminishing the function, mm -hmm. but it never came back. And I stayed on dialysis for eight months. Oh gosh. So in, and they started testing family members, um, you know, people that would be able to donate to me at mm -hmm. the time at that hospital, they were only doing cadaver transplants. So they hadn't really dealt with live transplants at that point. Oh. Um, maybe one or two, but all of it was cadaver. So they started testing my family and they found three matches and they oh. were all brothers. So they, um, they have what they call perfect matches yeah. where everything just kind of lines up. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, this kidney in your body would go really, really well. Uh -huh. And that brother, um, at first he said, okay, that he would donate, but then he changed his mind, which, you know, that's, that happens because sure. it's a huge commitment and you're giving a part of your body. It's a spare part. Sure. You know, we have two yeah. and we really only need one. Yeah. But there's that, always that fear, I think, with donators that, um, what if something happens then to my kidney that I have? So yeah. it, it's a huge commitment. And he had young children. So as soon as I did find out that, okay, he changed his mind, the one of the other ones that matched said, I'll be there tomorrow. Oh. And, he, and he came down from Kentucky and um, they did all the testing because they, they put the donor through some rigorous testing mm -hmm. just to make sure they're able to yeah. give that, that body part. So on July 7th, of 1975, wow. almost 48 years ago. Wow. We were wheeled back to the operating room together. And uh, it's kind of interesting when a, a transplant happens, the whole staff at the hospital just kind of pause and celebrate what's going to happen. So the halls are lined up with people and they're wheeling the two of us down the hallway and and I don't remember this part, but they said we were holding hands yeah. as we were wheeled together in the gurneys down the hallway. And the kidney took immediately, immediately. Oh. It was just a, a beautiful um, match for it to be in my body, even though it, according to their testing, it wasn't a perfect match. Right. It was the perfect match for me. Ah. Uh. Yeah, and so it started working immediately. It um, has still worked fantastic every time that I go in for testing mm -hmm. to see how the function is. The, you know, some of the doctors tell me, your kidney functions better than mine. <laughs> so it, my body has adapted it as its own. Mm -hmm. And Sherry, I feel like it is such a miracle to have this second chance at life. And I'm I'm grateful every day when I wake up. I'm grateful for another day alive. Oh gosh, I know you are. That's part of your beauty. The marriage ended, and you um had a pretty tumultuous time. Um, can do you mind talking a little bit about that period of your life? Yes. So there was a lot of strain on the marriage, you know, yeah. the financial strain, the, the emotional strain. Um, and we, you know, we were young. We got married so young. So we grew apart. Um, there were a lot of things, you know, he developed interests. I developed different interests. And so we, we did. We just grew apart. And it became very... Um, emotionally abusive at the end so I needed to heal from that and I found myself in Boston Massachusetts I was gone with a friend she uh, needed to go up there to be with her family and so I accompanied her just as a travel companion and fell in love with Boston and that's where I encountered Yogananda who is one of my main spirit guides I had never knew, known anything about him before, but I found out uh, who he was mm -hmm. and immersed myself in his energy. I found a group that I meditated with. So meditation became a daily part of my life mm -hmm. and really helped me to grow spiritually. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I found chanting at that point and found an ashram there in Boston. And we chanted with the Dalai Lama by satellite. We didn't have internet then, but uh-huh. we did have satellite. Mm-hmm. And it was just a time where I knew who I was. It was that discovery that I'm I'm not this body. I'm not this person who's been through uh, childhood trauma, adult trauma, of, of going through this huge experience of the kidney failure and kidney transplant. Mm-hmm. And so it was an opening for me into the spirit world. And through the meditation, I got closer to Jesus. I got closer to my creator that I call God. Mm-hmm. Um, and just loved life. I just fell in love with life at that point mm-hmm. and really uh, became me again mm-hmm. for me for the first time really in this yeah. existence mm-hmm. but me that the angels had kind of directed my path to be there it, it was like they always throughout my whole life they directed me where I need to be or bring the people in that I need to be surrounded by to really do what I'm supposed to do in this lifetime I believe we all have a divine destiny of what we're we're here to do. And well, so Terry, let's let's talk about your connection with the angels for a minute. How does how did that manifest to you or occur to you? How did you feel? How did you know it was angelic? So in my childhood, I I never felt like I belonged where I was. I yeah. was always the, the odd one. Yeah. I was always the one that would question and get in trouble a lot of times. So my solace was to go off by myself. I lived on the side of a mountain. So I had a little clearing and I would just go sit there. And I felt these beings with me, even though I was totally alone. I knew there were beings. I could see their um, their essence. I didn't see a form like a lot of people see an angel in a form. My thought is they come to us however we can accept them, yeah. however we're going to resonate. So I saw them as like glittery beings of light mm-hmm. and I could hear them. I could hear them speak and I would speak back to them. And I thought, this is pretty cool that I... I have these beings that are with me mm-hmm. and they were always with me at night. I would say good night to them. It was like, you know, I think a lot of times when you hear about imaginary friends, it's yeah. the angels. Yeah. I really believe that because it hasn't changed. They're still with me today. Yes, they Talking are. To me and I talk back to them. So I knew that it was more than just imagination. And they would show me visions. They would show me things up in those mountains. And I knew some of my past lives because it. I knew that was me that I was seeing in whatever scenario I was being shown. So from a, a young child, I could see past lives. I could see, you know, this, this is me. Wow. This, is, this is not just a human being. This is something that's eternal. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, you know, from my my church time, <laughs> the time that I, I learned more about Jesus and I learned about his travails on earth and I learned who God was. Well, I had kind of a skewed version of God from the, the church teachings, but I learned later that, you know, God is not a judge. He's mm-hmm. just this very loving spirit being that wants us all happy, wants us to recognize who we are and recognize him in us mm-hmm. instead of seeing him outside of us. Mm-hmm. So the angels have been instrumental in guiding my path from the get-go. From the very beginning, they've been there. And they, they've never left my side. I ventured out, you know, and, and tested the waters and said, oh, I think I want this path instead of the one you're trying to take me down. And, yeah. you know, I... I needed all of those experiences. We all do. We need the experiences we have to shape us and to bring us to where we are now. But listen to this, because Terry, I was so struck by the truth of this. In finding your way through the murk and mud and allowing yourself to grow through the experience, 
you release the power of being held back due to fear. What, what more do you want to add to that? Because what extraordinary concept. Yes, fear was huge in my mind. It really was. I feared my dad. My dad was an angry, bitter man who just spewed anger. And when he was in the room, you scattered. So I started out with that fear base. Okay. And, and it was fear. So then, you know, I was afraid when the kidneys failed, am I going to die? And I railed at God, you know, why are you doing this to me? Um, so fear was always so prevalent. Mm -hmm. And what I came to realize is that that was what was holding me back. That was what was holding me down, was being afraid. And once I stepped out into who I was, that experience, that, that year-long experience in Boston, where I came to know that there really isn't anything to fear. That fear is it's destructive. It eats at you on the inside. It really does keep you in a prison. And there are people that um, can't step outside the front door because they're afraid. There are people that won't open their mouth to speak because they're afraid. Yeah, It's that prison that we're held down in. <laughs> but once we see, okay, I can use my voice. I can step outside. There's a world that I can explore. But it takes a lot to do that, to get beyond that fear. And that is a commitment that we make. It's a choice that we make, Sherry. Every day we make choices. Yeah. Do I choose to live in that prison? Or am I going to see life as a playground and look at all those things that happened? I didn't die from them. Right. Okay, so what am I afraid of? What is that fear that um, you know that's holding me back? Mm -hmm. And using all of the experiences, all the struggles. I call them fires. We go through yes. the fires of life. Mm -hmm. And if we've gone through a fire and we are on the other side of it, yeah. celebrate. Celebrate it. Don't go into, oh my gosh, it was so horrible and keep regurgitating how bad it is yeah. because you're keeping that fire going. You're flaming the fire. Yeah. But if, oh my gosh, I went through kidney failure and I'm still here to tell you about it. That's a celebration. There's oh, nothing to be afraid of. Tess, talk about how it occurred to you to take on a peace tour. I was told by the angels uh, that I was going to be doing something extraordinary and that it was going to be um, it was going to be big and it was going to be demanding yeah. on me, on my time. I didn't know what it looked like, Sherry. I just had this message from them that there was a, a plan and that I, I had already agreed to it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't remember that, but okay. <laughs> and so they they were preparing me emotionally. I was I was teaching meditation. I was teaching about the angels. Mm -hmm. I was um, really immersing myself in the daily practices that I have of meditation, prayer. Um, being of service in any way I could in my community, every year when it was time to re-up the lease, I would check in and I would go, okay, am I signing this lease for another year? You're telling me I'm going to be doing something. So is this where I'm doing it? What's it look like, angels? Right. And so for a couple of years, it was, no, not yet. We're still working. We're still preparing you. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And went through all of that, which was an amazing journey all by itself. It was one of those things that threw me because I had been through cancer a couple of times before that. Oh. And this time I didn't understand, Sherry. I didn't understand. And I sat and told the angels that. I said, angels, I don't understand. You know, I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do to take care of my body. Mm -hmm. I'm doing 
everything I know to take care of my spirit, my mind, mm-hmm. my emotion. What what is this? And yeah. what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. And at that moment, when I put that question to them, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus right in front of me. And he helped me to understand that I chose this. I chose to go through this experience for others, not for me. That this was something so beyond me in this little existence. This was something that where I was going to help other women. I was going to help anyone going through any kind of cancer, but especially women with breast cancer. That is such a, it's such a personal thing to face losing a part of your body, which is what I did. I I had the double mastectomy with this cancer, but he actually showed me um, that it was a sacrifice I was making, but not for me for the good of others. And I had a choice. And this is what he told me. This is what the angels told me. You can choose to not go through this. You can choose to be healed from it and not have to face all of the surgery and everything that that goes with that. And after talking with him and having it explained the way he explained it, Mm -hmm. I kept with my agreement, with my commitment. I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll do this, you know, and I never complained about it from that moment on. I was never like, what the heck? You know? mm-hmm. It was like, okay, I, I see the bigger picture. Right. And many now, times we don't see that bigger picture when we're in the throes of that fire. Yeah. We don't see what it's all about. No. But I was shown the vision before I went through any of the surgery or anything to take care of it. Again, I had, you know, re-upped my lease. Yeah, when I the year that I had breast cancer, mm-hmm. because I knew that I couldn't travel, I, I couldn't do really much of anything other than recover. Right, and it was during that year also that my two precious fur babies left me, both of them, one mm-hmm. at a time. Um, they were older; I'd had them for nineteen years, and they both decided they needed to leave so that I would be free. Mm. And you know, not seeing that that was the reasoning, I was, of course, devastated at that loss as well oh. as the, the cancer. It was a really a year that was where I was, I feel like, tested a lot yes. as far as, okay, here's another fire. Here's, here's mm-hmm. another one. Mm-hmm. And making it through all of that, I think that was the, it's like when you're uh, tempering steel, that was like the last bit of that fire that had to go on there mm-hmm. for my my soul to be ready for what was going to take place. Yes. Okay, so let's let's definitely describe to people what the peace tour, how you launched it and the intention, okay? I mean, I, I certainly I just want people to know by this time you had developed a network of friends um all over the country. Yes. Well, it had actually begun with the breast cancer experience because um I had already been doing like gratitude happy hour, a program that I had developed to share gratitude with people. So I had a base of people that knew who I was. Yeah. And then when the breast cancer hit, here's the in, one of the interesting things shared. I wasn't thinking about me with the breast cancer. I'm like, how do I tell these people that I'm inspiring every day and, and lifting up and telling about the importance of spirit and gratitude how do I tell them I have breast cancer and that thought actually did go through my head it's like how do I even share that with people so when I did when I did put it public I said you know what guys I don't want pity this is nothing to be ashamed of or to feel bad about I want you lifting me up I want you making me laugh I want this to be an experience that is going to be so high vibrating yes. that I'm going to look back on it and smile because I know that I was loved through it. And that's what everybody did. They loved me through it. Yeah. So I already had that base from that. Mm-hmm. And when COVID hit and we were all put in lockdown and we couldn't be with each other and give the hugs and the love, there was one day 
that I was led, and I was led by the angels, even though it was two birds that had woken me up that morning, two uh, beautiful Osprey were outside yelling and screaming at each other. And so <laughs> I got my cup of coffee and I went outside and I joined them. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow, there's a world here. I wish everybody could just sit and see this beautiful outside beauty because people were told don't go out your door you know don't spread those germs so I was led to turn on a Facebook live and say hey is there anybody out there and that was the development and the birth of the angelic river family because I was sitting by a river and that was three years ago next month Sherry we're going to be celebrating three years wow and from that moment on I came on every day live and still do to this day. That's the morning cup of joy. And every morning we check in with each other. Is everybody okay? Do you need anything? Do you need prayer? Do you need us to help you through um, emotional experience? Whatever it is. So that was the beginning of the gathering of the what we now know are called the peas for peace because um, spirit shared that we're all like peas in a pea pod we yeah. all are fed by the same source mm. we all are like-minded and that's the um that's my inspiration for going every day and for keeping this journey alive and they cheer me on and they welcome me into their homes as i go around the country mm -hmm. that's how that all came to be that we have this group that just wants peace we all want that that's our whole inspiration for the peace on earth tour is to talk to people about peace to do what's called a land blessing yes i knew none of this sherry i started out from florida on that day in september 11th of 2020 wow i didn't know what it was going to look like I didn't know that I was going to do land blessings across the country. What is a land blessing? So what the angels showed me is that um, I'm going into an area where I'm asked to come in. And we find the perfect spot. We meaning me and the angels. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they guide me physically to a spot where... They have certain things that are already in place. So at each of these places, I find a heart. It could be a rock in the shape of a heart. It could be a heart somebody has drawn on a tree or a bench or on the ground. But there's always a heart wow. because this is all heart-centered and it's all about love, which is God. Mm -hmm. There's also a peace sign. And the peace signs usually have been these trees. You know how a tree will branch out into two different branches? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a peace <laughs> sign. Some places there have been peace signs drawn or there's mm -hmm. been the word peace, but it always shows up, always. And so there's the heart, the peace sign, and children, because mm -hmm. children are our future. Mm -hmm. And it was so amazing. The very first one that was done, uh, we were in this, this little park in Tennessee and we're doing the land blessing and this family comes along and there's two children. And that's the first time that I heard from the angels, there's going to be children in every one of them. And there have been, whether it's human children, it could be a puppy, it could be mm -hmm. um, a sapling. But there's always an indication about newness and new birth and, mm. and that that young energy that is going why we're doing this mm -hmm. for our children and our children's children and the generations to come. We want that peace on our land, peace mm -hmm. on Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that show up. Mm -hmm. And so then in the land blessing itself, there's a part of the earth that's uncovered. And a stone is placed in the ground. And this stone is given the mission to communicate under the ground with all the other rocks and stones, the tree roots. There's a whole communication system underground. 
And so the land blessing is giving this mission to an object that says, okay, carry this message of peace throughout the land. And then we ask the angels blessing on the land. We ask the ancestors blessing. So I use the old Native American tradition of giving something, giving an offering to the ground right. and asking them for peace to fall on that land. And this has happened, oh gosh, 23 times, I think now. There have been 23 land blessings throughout the country, coast yeah. to coast, coast, the east coast to the west coast, as far north as Michigan, as far south as Florida. And it's just been beautiful. I haven't plotted out what they're doing yet, Sherry, but I know they're creating a grid a across grid. the country. Yes, yes. And and that is something that will happen. I haven't um, haven't been shown to do it just yet because it's not finished yet. Right, right. So your um, the land blessing was part of the became part of the journey. And now let's talk about this book and the instructions you received to write every day. Because it's, folks, this book is so beautifully written, so poignant, so real, and it really encompasses so many different issues, problems and wonderful experiences that Terry had in her tour. And um, I, I, I really encourage you to gift yourself with this, gift yourself. So, okay, Terry, let's talk about how you were inspired. Okay. okay. Well, as I mentioned earlier, meditation is a big part of my life. Yeah. I, I think it's essential as humans that we connect in with our creator and, and with our spirit guides. So in meditation one night, the angel said, we're going to give you a message every day in this coming year, that, which would have been 2022. We're going to give you a message and we want you to write it down and we want you to put it out there for people to hear. And I'm like, every day? <laughs> Wait, you know, you've already been doing a lot here, angels. That's quite a commitment to every day sit down with you and write this message that you're going to give me and at first I thought okay it's going to be just like this little message you know a couple of lines going. No problem. <laughs> well no <laughs> so what they had me do starting on January 1st of 2022 they had me sit with them with no distractions it had to be at a time when everything was quiet. So that's why the name of the book is Midnight Calls, <laughs> because it was kind of like this phone call that comes in at midnight yeah. that says, okay, you know, everything's quiet now. It's it's our time with you. you you've been with other people. You've helped mm -hmm. others. Thank you. But mm -hmm. now it's our time. Mm -hmm. And so as I sit with them, there's usually something that comes to mind, some something that might have happened that day or in my childhood or throughout my life, but some experience that, or some question mm -hmm. that I feel needs to be brought forth. Mm -hmm. So I will just have a conversation with them. And then I ask usually a question and then they give us the message. Yeah. And that's the meat. That's the what they really want us all to grasp onto is their response mm -hmm. to situations and questions and problems some guidance for us through this thing called life mm -hmm. and so they did it every night and I put it out there every every morning and and some people you, you'll see some of the testimonials they rush to their email to say where's the message from the angels yes yeah so it became a real thing you know with, mm -hmm. with this message being given out every day to people so that was great. It happened every night without fail. End of the year comes and I'm going, oh, you know, I made it through the year of every night doing this. And, and, and it became such a blessing to me. It wasn't like a chore at all. It was just like, okay, I did that. You know, check that off my list every night. The angels gave me a message. <laughs> and then, okay, 
Now you're going to put it together into a book form. Oh my gosh, angels, really? <laughs> you're testing me here. Yeah. But yeah. the crux of the book was done. It was just putting it into the form that they wanted it to be in, which was alphabetical order, because each one of the messages has a title that they they give me. I don't come up with those. They're like, this is your title. So the book is in alphabetical order, mm -hmm. and it makes it easy for people. If you go to the back of the book, there's an index with all mm -hmm. of the list of all of the, the messages. So if there's one that catches your eye that says, oh, I don't know what that is, and you can go find it very easily. Mm -hmm. My thought is with both the book Midnight Calls and the Tiny Book, you can open it to any page and you're going to get exactly what you need. They're mm -hmm. going to bring you that message that mm -hmm. is going to help you. Could, could Terry, could I take a quick quote from the book? Because I... Of course, used it as an oracle, as exactly you were describing, and I came across something that, of course, I found uh, profoundly useful. What is the purpose of your worry? If you are worrying, you are no longer carrying an energy or essence of hope. Hope keeps you motivated. Worry does not. Hope allows for possibility of a positive outcome. Worry says it's not going to end well and disaster will ensue. Hope drops the reins of the situation and floats along on trust. Worry tells you there's no hope. Which do you prefer? Drop the reins and float on trust. Terry, your journey and the things that have happened and, the, and, 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 and how you dealt with it has been a great example of floating on trust and really hasn't it it has this has been a whole journey of trust sherry yeah i i did not know what this was going to look like when i left that day in florida i had no idea i didn't know how it was going to be to to be out into the world without a home mm -hmm. I left everything behind at their direction. Get rid of everything, all material things. I had the clothes that I wear. I had a few items that I needed, you know, along the way. But I had nothing and I had no place to return to if I get out there and I'm like, oh, this is not for me. I'm, I must have heard you wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. But along the way, I've had everything that I need. I've had food. I've had a roof over my head or a place to park the car that was safe that I could um, catch a, a few moments of sleep. Mm -hmm. I've had everything. I have wanted for nothing over this last two, two and a half years now. Nothing at all. Everything's been taken care of. And people have been so inviting. So the trust was huge. It had to be there. If, if I'd gone into it with the worry, like that one was talking about, mm -hmm. if I said, oh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be? Which way do I go? Mm -hmm. It would be a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. But because I said my yes, because I said, okay, angels, I'm hearing you loud and clear. And there were so many miraculous confirmations that this was the way that I was supposed to go. I, I trust that it is them doing this journey. I just have to guide the vehicle. I just have to steer it and keep it between the lines. <laughs> they, they are the GPS. This book is a book of a trust and joy and service. I do want to add one thing, Sherry. Sure. So I thought the book was done, right? I yeah. all, the, all of the messages were in there. The, the introduction and telling about it you know what what it was all, all about and so i'm ready to send it in to be published and i hear nope it's not done so what they had me do was um, a little bit of research and find information about certain issues that are addressed by them throughout the book oh. so there's information in there 
about domestic violence. If somebody uh, has that going on and they read an inspired message from the angels, that's wonderful. That's going to help so much. But going beyond that, there's a lifeline. There's a hotline you can call. There's information of if you're the person being abused or if you're the person observing a loved one or somebody being abused, what can you do? Mm -hmm. So there's resources regarding domestic violence, grief, um, suicide, there's suicide hotlines globally, not just the United States, wherever, whatever country you may be in, there's yes. help. Yes. Um, what else? Thank um, you for adding that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Even, even the refrigerator project. Oh, the fridge, the community fridge. Community fridge is in there. How you can start one yourself if you are so drawn to do that. Mm -hmm. um, human trafficking. They had told me this year that I was really supposed to focus on how to help others recognize what's going on and do something. That action, you know. Yes. Take a step. Make a phone call. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of resources in this book. It's not just the the, the message it goes beyond that to action steps action to action and if people want to connect with you terry take the action of connecting with you where are all of those places would you mind describing i know you oh, have a absolutely. lot yeah absolutely on facebook i'm terry angel you can find me anywhere on there i'm on night and day doing <laughs> um, broadcasts and putting out inspired messages if you want to email me, it's my name, Terry, T-E-R-I, at angelspeakers.com. And that's my website, angelspeakers.com. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to end with uh, something that has inspired me. I had a friend who is now in spirit. And every day, this friend would send me a text or call me or somehow get a message that life should be fun we should be enjoying this thing called life we should be out playing on the playground like a kid again swing on that swing set go down the slide but enjoy life and that is what i do every day and what i encourage others to come to the point where you also can enjoy this thing called life it's a choice yeah Thank you, my darling. It's always my joy to sit with you. Thank you so much. And I'm very, very excited to share this interview with my world and the world beyond. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry Myers. I love you immensely. I love you too. Goodbye. Thanks, Sherry. Goodbye, darling. Thank you for listening. Please hit the subscribe button be alerted to the next fascinating podcast from Angel Lady Movie Talk. Goodbye.